You're listening to the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast with Davina Frederick. Hello, and welcome to the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast. Our mission is to provide thought-provoking, powerful, and practical information to help you in creating your own sustainable, wealth-generating law firm without overwork or overwhelm, so you can live your best life. I'm your host, Davina Frederick, and I'm here today with Doug Brown, Chief Learning Officer and Coach at Summit Success. Summit Success, through its executive coaching and consulting and publication division, works with high-performing business professionals who are determined to make their lives and businesses better. Welcome, Doug. I'm so happy to have you here. It's going to be great talking with a colleague on the Wealthy Woman Lawyer podcast, and I know this is going to be a power-packed episode. Hi, Davina. Thanks so much. I'm, I'm looking forward to it uh, as well. Um, this Great. is important work that we get to do for uh, people who really appreciate what we do. Right, right. And uh, so I want to get a little bit of you and I, I think you're going to have a great conversation and there's going to be a lot of helpful information here for um, our audience of women law firm owners. Um, but before we dive into that, we want to get to know a little bit more about you. So why don't you tell me kind of your background and what led you to doing the work at Summit Success, and then we'll dive into talking about Summit Success. That's terrific. Uh, That's a great idea. So I'm one of those uh, people who um, practice law uh, with a firm, and then Mm -hmm. I moved on into in-house as in-house counsel with a growing company. And then I Mm -hmm. got to be an entrepreneur. And basically today, my business is helping, as you said, lawyers improve their business. So it's about filling the practice with the perfect clients. Yes, it's possible to have perfect clients, people who you're meant to serve, who they love working with, who love them back and do it faster. So they make more money and they get to do things like taking a vacation and looking forward to going to work. Right, right. This this is an evolution for me over probably 29 years since I graduated um, from law school. And I'd always hope to find that place where I get to work with people I love working with and making a difference. And I started off like many lawyers. I worked in law school. I was a clerk for a small firm in Maryland. I went to American University, Washington College of Law after Mm -hmm. my undergrad at Syracuse. And um, I I joined what was an excellent firm in Connecticut, a mid-sized firm. I was in a small office and they believed in all the stuff I wanted them to believe in, mentoring and development of associates, really traditional um, back in the day. And it was tremendous. And after a couple of years, my entrepreneurial brain started kicking in. And I kind of grew up in a family of entrepreneurs. And I started asking questions like, is this it? Is this all there is? Do I really want to be a partner in a law firm? And it wasn't right. about the firm. It, it was about the business model. Like, is that what I really wanted? I knew I had more in me. Perhaps like some of your listeners may have asked themselves that question at some point in their mm-hmm. career. So that I've always been one to lead into, lean into challenges and try new things. And before long, I had an opportunity uh, through a headhunter to become uh, a lawyer in a growing company that I helped grow from $30 million to $300 million a year. And I got to do lawyer stuff, but I also got to do business stuff. I got to work with the salespeople to help them close deals. And I learned all about how to sell. I managed IT divisions. I I even managed HR for a year. Wow. The more I, yeah. So it was, the more I worked at it, the more I wanted to move just beyond being a lawyer. And the CEO came to me and gave me a chance to be the chief of staff for a major division. My mission was don't let the business people mess it up. And then 
I had full P&L responsibility for, to rescue a $20 million business with 100 employees inside of this global business. Uh-huh. Then I got a chance to go be a global executive. And that was really fun, but my kids were growing mm-hmm. and I felt like I was missing it. And again, I got to this point, I wanted something more. And one thing led to another. And I learned, did you know that the law degree in academia is a terminal degree? And that's not a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's equivalent to, don't ask a PhD, but it's equivalent to a PhD. And with that, right. my work experience, I got to be a full professor and a program manager in an MBA program where I got to teach adult learners about innovation, entrepreneurship, and leadership. Mm-hmm. And that's when I finally got to put all of that experience into, uh, and I had the freedom to become a business and executive coach. So I did that for six years, and that was tremendous. And then in the last several years, I, I was doing what I told my students to do, which is focus on a target market where you have a unique value proposition and go after them. So I started going back into the lawyer community. And before I knew it, I got recruited to become the executive director of the Connecticut Bar Association and get them turned around. So I used a lot of my marketing skills and my diplomacy skills because I had 10,000 lawyers as bosses, which was interesting. Yeah, challenging, Um, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Um, and you know, great people. And I took that because I got so much as a young lawyer associations and I learned so much, I wanted to give that back. Mm -hmm. And after three years, I had them turned around and I got recruited to, uh, by a friend of mine who had been on his board of advisors who was leading a 130-year-old fine jewelry chain in Connecticut and five other states, 21 stores, and he wanted to transition it to his daughters. And so I went in for uh, two years with him as his chief operating officer where I was responsible for sales and marketing and finance, everything except merchandise, really. So I didn't think there could be anything harder than working with lawyers until I went into retail. So, <laughs> <laughs> but I learned a lot there. And then um, along the way, I got certified as a book yourself solid uh, coach. And um, Walt and Ann, um, the founders of Summit Success, invited me to join them as their chief learning officer. And I jumped at that chance because it's the work I was meant to do, I've always wanted to do, and mm-hmm. working with people who believe what I believe. So I. I not only get to teach other people how to do it, but I'm, I'm kind of living it, which is really kind of fun and strange all at the same time. Wow. Wow. So I, you know what ex- makes me so excited about hearing your story is I think that a lot of times when we go to law school and we become lawyers, you know, there's a lot of expectation around us that, well, you're a lawyer and that's kind of the pinnacle of, a, of your career, you know, to be a partner or to have your own practice or whatever it is, right? And we often find ourselves not able to sort of let go of that vision because there's so much pressure on us to have that vision for ourselves. And so many people want to try, you know, so many other attorneys want to try different types of approaches to their career. And different types of work and maybe they want to be a, a lawyer in a different way or maybe they want to just go into a whole new career altogether but we're so buried to this identity of being a lawyer and kind of that being such a there's such you know social status around it and prestige around it 
that sometimes you have people who stay in legal careers for years who, you know, as aspiring to partner or a named partner or whatever it is they want to do, the uh, in-house counsel or whatever. And, and they are miserable. You know, they don't enjoy their lives and their work. They do it for the money, for the prestige, because they're supposed to, because I worked hard to go to law school. And so I'm always excited when I talk to people who have found a way to leverage their education and their degree into all different kinds of projects and, and different ways that they reimagine and reinvent themselves in throughout their career. So that is always a very exciting story to hear because I think that takes a lot of courage. How do you feel about that? What do you, what do you think about that? I think that's right. I don't know if I thought I was courageous at the time. <laughs> I, was, uh, I was looking, I, I, I had this belief that life was too short and too important to be stuck doing something that I didn't really feel like was the highest and best use of my skills. Right. And I, I loved, I love being a lawyer. I'm still licensed to practice, but I don't. And I've worked with over the years, so many lawyers who are in exactly the position that you described and helping them try to figure out what do I do next? Because I went through that process when I was in the law firm, I knew I wasn't satisfied, but I didn't know what else I could do, even though I went to business school. And I had that pressure of, well, you have all this debt from law school and you're a great lawyer. The year before I left the law firm, I, I won an award. In fact, I had, the, I had the associate's dream. I don't know if it's a dream or a fantasy. Mm -hmm. um, I was in my law firm. I was up. They were going to give me my yearly review. And that was where I gave my notice. Wow. Uh, so, wow. <laughs> um, um, so I think, I guess in retrospect, it was courage, but I was very focused that I had a higher purpose, something more than negotiating condemnation clauses and leases and being stuck just behind the legal work. Um, right. And I got energy from doing that. And yeah. when I, and, and we all, what I love about doing this with this, our work with lawyers is we're really smart people. And, Sometimes we just get stuck thinking about things in a particular way. Right. And when we can help them see it another way, the light bulb goes on and they just run with it. And I think yeah. that's tremendous. But they have to other, have freedom to think about it another way. Right. And that other way can be, oh, can be completely changing and exploring new careers, or it can be imagining your own career as an attorney in a very different way. I think we're seeing a lot happen now where, you know, law firms are traditionally, traditionally sort of slow behemoths when it comes to making change and moving, moving forward into the future. And, um, and we're, we're certainly seeing over the last several years, we're seeing a lot of use of virtual. And then now with COVID-19 happening, people are kind of being forced to think that way. And so we're seeing some very rapid change in the legal world and in law firms that I, that's very exciting and innovative. And uh, I think we're going to look back on this time and just be amazed at how quickly the legal industry rocketed forward, you know, during this time in the way that we serve clients. Are you seeing that among your clients? I am. I'm seeing, I, I work with owners and managing partners of reasonably small firms, under 10 mm -hmm. lawyers generally. Mm -hmm. And 
technology has leveled the playing field in so many ways. In fact, giving the smaller firms an advantage. And they are nimble. They don't have high amounts of overhead. These lawyers are now thinking more like entrepreneurs. They're willing to try things, fall on their face, get up and keep going. And I think that's transformational. It also avoids the politics that holds a lot of the large law firms back where they, you know, they put too many lawyers in a room. And then when I've worked with lawyers who are unhappy, this is interesting. I was speaking at the Maine State Bar Association's annual meeting about, you know, what I talk about. And I asked, how many of you chose this area of practice when you went into law or even decided on purpose to go to law school? And the vast majority of the room just fell into being a lawyer. Wow. Wow. They just fell into their practice area. There was never an intentional decision. It was, well, my first job was with a family lawyer, so I became a family lawyer. And I guess I like it, but I never really thought about it. And so often, if you're unhappy in your practice and you really unpack that, it might be you don't have to leave being a lawyer. It might mean you change your practice. You change who you're working for. You reconnect with why you're doing it. And people, attorneys have uh, a lot of fear oftentimes around changing uh, practice areas and this feeling of, well, I don't know anything about it and I would have to learn it. And I don't think that I, you know, then how, how can I do that? Right. And and of course, there are other attorneys who have been practicing in the other practice areas who give them pushback and say, you can't come into this practice area because you you don't know it. Well, they don't think about everybody's a beginner <laughs> at one point, no matter, you know, I think it's hard for lawyers who've been practicing for a while to feel like they've got to be the beginner again, you know, yeah, to learn any practice area. Yeah, we have a problem as a profession is that, you know, entrepreneurs recognize you have to fail. You're going to stumble, you pick up, you keep going. We seem to have as a profession this fear of failure, this fear of being found out, and and then we are trained from early in law school to navigate in the rearview mirror by precedent. And so when we have to go do new things, it's it's very scary. Right. And those who do have a tremendous advantage. Right. Absolutely. I had a, a mentor at one point, best advice he he gave me is he says, you know, you don't have to be a walking, talking legal encyclopedia, a Black's dictionary. Like you don't have to know. He said, I've been practicing for 30 years and still I'll have people who ask me things. And I'm like, I don't know because, you know, he knew his own area well, but even within that area, which is eminent domain, he, he, you know, he said, there's still things, there's still going to be cases that, you know, situations that I come across that I have to puzzle out and figure out. And then he said, and then there are whole other areas of law I know nothing about because I've been practicing this for 30 years. You know, you you don't have to be a walking, talking encyclopedia of legal knowledge. And yet somehow that's kind of what we think when we come out of law school and we start practicing law. Well, I need, you know, I'm supposed to know everything. And and of course, you know, the general public doesn't really understand the difference. Um, if you're a lawyer, you then you're a lawyer of all things. And so you get asked questions, you know, about some area that you don't practice. And I think it's um, hard for, it takes a while for lawyers to learn how to be okay with that and be okay with, you know, I don't know as an answer, or I don't know, but I can find out. 
you know? Yeah. I, I think as a profession, we continue to damage ourselves by not allowing lawyers to talk about themselves as specialists. If, if we look at the, the medical model, nobody expects a doctor to know everything about the human body. You're allowed right. to specialize. And we're not, we can't, lawyers do, but we're not allowed to say it. Right. And the thing that is interesting, I've been seeing this more and more with my clients. The old model used to be that you are judged based on what you know. But the truth is that I have learned in my advanced training as a speaker and in sales training mm -hmm. is that people don't hire you because you're smart. They hire you because they know, like, and trust you. Right. And emotional intelligence is a far better predictor of a lawyer's success than what they know in black letter law. Right. And we were not taught that. I've been a student of it for 29 years, but we're not taught that in law school. We're taught about how to be the subject matter expert, so to speak, or um, the, the fountain of knowledge. And that's not what success is about now, because I've found that people decide to hire lawyers or coaches for that matter with their emotions, not with their logical brain. Right. So if, if lawyers want to get more clients, they need to be really tuned up on what we've always thought of as soft skills. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. You mentioned your sales training. I want to talk about that because you said you're a book yourself solid certified trainer. I loved that book, Michael Port, right? Michael Port? Yes. And mm -hmm. he wrote a wonderful book called Book Yourself Solid. He's written other books as well. Um, and I've read that book and it's a very powerful, life-changing book, I know, about how it really challenges your thoughts on, on getting clients and how to book yourself solid, how you can do it. And I remember one thing that really stands out for me for that book is he gives an example. He talks about going in to um, uh, training salespeople how to make phone calls and how salespeople would make seven phone calls a day and he would teach them how to make like 27 calls in an hour or something like that. <laughs> and, um, and it was really fascinating because that, I think that happens to so many of us. We think that we are producing a lot. We, we sort of overestimate what we're really doing. And, and then somebody comes in like he did and came in and he pointed out, you know, you're making a phone call and then you're going to the bathroom and then you're, you know, stopping <laughs> and chatting with somebody and then you're coming to sit back down and then you're researching and then you're making another phone call. And that's how you're only making seven calls a day. And then what he would do is he would just sit down in a room and say, okay, you're going to make 27 calls in an hour. And they were like, that's not possible. He said, yeah, it is because you're just going to dial and dial and dial and dial you know, and call people. And um, it was, it was very illuminating to, to see his uh, way that he was able to demonstrate to them all the holes in their bucket, their time bucket, you know, mm -hmm. what, yeah. what is it that you, that drew you to becoming, what made you decide to become certified in the book yourself solid method? Well, I, I actually met Michael in another perspective. Walt introduced, and I got a chance to work with him and his wife, Amy, in mm -hmm. their, um, in their speaking, the uh, heroic public speaking is 
um, the program that I went through to the master's level at. And so I got to know him. And it was through that, leading up to that, that I started reading Book Yourself Solid. And I saw so much synergy between, you know, that approach, not so much the 27 phone calls, but the approach of focusing on your audience, knowing exactly who you were meant to serve and the exact problems that you solve for them and doing it in integrity and making a connection with them and, and allowing your, your underlying mess, your humanness to be part of your message. Just like you'd connect with an audience using the principles of book yourself solid. It's, it's easy to make the phone calls because it's not an imposition. If you're, if you are served, if you're a family lawyer, and your mission is to help people restart their lives after a failed marriage and protect the children, then making a sales call isn't a bad thing. You're, you're trying to work for your people and help them. And that right. shift, using that system, all of a sudden you see that as an essential part of who you are, not something that's so distasteful that you have to do it as little as possible. Right, um, right. So let's, let's, let's delve into this a little bit because... Um, I'd like to give some, some maybe advice or tips for, because when you, when you see a book like this, like book yourself solid and you hear about making phone calls and that kind of thing, of course you think of, you know, salespeople, right. Which is not an attorney (laughs) in most attorneys minds. Um, even if they own their own business, you know, they don't think of themselves as salespeople. And, and yet we know that in any business, if a sale doesn't happen, then there is no business. There's no, you're operating a charity or a hobby if you're not making sales. Um, We just may call them consultations instead of sales. But Mm -hmm. we know that we're prohibited, you know, most most bar associations prohibit solicitation of clients. So people say, well, you know, I can't make cold calls or I can't make, and that's true. But how can we use sales skills to maybe make phone calls or maybe reach out to people through email or, or whatever and get those prospective clients in to have conversations with us. Because I think a lot of people right now could use some good advice because so many people are saying, well, with this COVID-19, you know, my phones have stopped ringing and clients aren't coming in the way they used to. So what kind of things do you think they can do? Oh, how much time do we have? Well, I'll keep it short. <laughs> Um, <laughs> well, we're just going to give it, we're just going to get some tips. We're not going to, you know, so, go into so the whole thing. So the tip is it's not about making cold phone calls. Cold activity doesn't generate business and paid advertising generally doesn't generate business for the, unless you're in a, a transactional consumer practice, a personal injury practice, something like that. Building your law practice is about the relationships that you have. And the mm-hmm. fastest way to build your practice, and and Walt and I talk about our three marketing strategies. And one is very simple, and and your your listeners can do it today. And the first one that costs you nothing and works almost every time is is what we call delight. And it's simply working with your existing client base to make a connection with them so they know, like, and trust you. And you provide the experience that they want to talk about in a positive way around their experience with you. Because most people associate, they'd rather go to the Department of Motor Vehicles and talk to a lawyer. So it's not a very high bar to, to like them. Mm-hmm. So what is one thing, if you know your clients well, 
what is one thing you can do that can delight them? And in COVID, you could pick up the phone and say, how you doing? I'm thinking about you. I'm working on your case. I know the courts are closed, but I'm, I'm out here for you. What else can I do for you? That human connection, because so few people do that, that's delight. It's having a good intake process that makes somebody feel valued right at the beginning of and safe at the beginning of a relationship. Right. Um, it, because your best advocates are your clients, and yet we don't do things on purpose to activate them as referral sources. We, we simply hope that they might refer people to us. And you know, hope I think it's very powerful what you just said when you said we don't do things to activate them. So that the word activate is very powerful. We don't do things to get them to take action, right? Right. And I think uh, oftentimes we sort of think that as lawyers, we sort of think, well, they know that I'm here. I've worked on their, you know, if I pass clients, I've worked on cases for them before. They know I'm here. If they need me, they'll call me. Or, you know, people in my town know because I'm out, you know, I've gone out to networking lunches or, you know, I've been on Facebook. They know I'm here. I don't need to pester them. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I'm one of those people that spent I don't know how many thousands of dollars and ate so many hundreds of rubber chicken dinners going out and people knew me and liked me, but they didn't remember at the moment they needed that somebody came to them, they didn't associate me with something mm-hmm. because I made the mistake that most lawyers make. What do you do? I'm a real estate lawyer. I'm a family lawyer. I'm a tax lawyer. It doesn't mean right. anything. Right. When you, when you answer that question, I help X, my target client, do Y, solve a problem so they can Z. I help lawyers get more clients more quickly so they can make more money and have time with their families. That's what I do. I don't introduce myself as an executive coach because that doesn't matter to them. What matters to them is that. And we activate our clients when we introduce ourselves clearly and consistently in a very narrow area. When we have a nurture strategy that maybe sends something out once a month, not about my firm and how great I am, but about them, something they care about, their conversation going on in their head. And because people have a short attention span, they have to remember you and what you do at the moment that they are going to give a referral. And that's the second strategy. It's, it's who do your people see before they see you? And they're little things and they're not salesy and they're not, if you're focused on I'll pick on family law again. I have a lot of family law clients right now. (laughs) And if you're keeping in touch with them every six months, how's it going? How's the family doing? Hey, here's something that came up that I thought you might be interested in. Just little drips like that, that's valuable to them, keeps you top of mind. Right. And the key is you have to focus, and, and Michael Port talks about it in Book Yourself Solid, your red velvet rope. And that is who's inside your red velvet rope, the people you were meant to serve. And those are the people you talk about. Because the other problem that lawyers have is, well, I can't focus on just one thing. I won't have enough work. I have to take all this other work. And that's a myth because the narrower you go, the deeper you go, the more work there is. If you're trying to maintain a practice that's 
family law and real estate and bankruptcy and criminal and personal injury, how much are you going to, if you have a problem with your foot, are you going to go to a GP or are you going to go to a podiatrist? Right. You're, you're going to go to the person that specializes. Absolutely. And that takes courage to do that. Not blind courage, but, but it does require courage to do that. <laughs> Yeah, we think we always think we're going to miss out on a client who could show up and pay us. But generally, the more we get really clear on who it is we want to work with, the more we'll start to, you know, just not have a desire to work with people who don't fit into that. And we know that if we let those people go, that that creates space, a vacuum. Nature abhors a vacuum. It's going to fill it with the people that you're trying to attract if you're consistent with the message that you're putting out there. Yes. And not, it's not just about the type of practice. It's about the type of client. When, right. when I work with clients to x-ray their practice and say, what, what, what are all your clients? How much money did you bring in? That's your revenue. You know that. And how much money did you make? What they often find is their most troublesome clients, their B, quote, B and C clients, are also the least profitable. Well, why are you hanging on to them? What would happen fear. if you fear didn't hang on to them? hanging on to them, fear. <laughs> right. And, but what if you could, so that's where I say, what if you could find one more of your A-level clients who could, you could make more profit on them? Oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> and, it's be, and it's because lawyers are not taught to run a business, we're taught to be lawyers. And we learn how to be lawyers from other lawyers who are also not taught how to run a business. And well, that's what I, I love about working with lawyers is that as soon as they start to see the idea, they're like, oh, this makes total sense. And then they can do right. it. Right. And I think too that, you know, that when you get in, especially, you know, the, a lot of people listening to this podcast own their own law firms. And mm -hmm. when you get into running your law firm, uh, it's not just being a lawyer. You're having to figure out all the aspects of running your law firm and getting getting all the things done, you know. And mm -hmm. so it can feel. And we know marketing is its own area of expertise, and it could feel like, um, you know, getting clients, uh, growing your practice. You know, you got to get clients. You got to grow your team. You got to, you know, set up systems. And it can feel overwhelming, like there's so much that has to be done. But how would you, how would you help somebody figure out how they are going to get their ideal clients when they feel like they don't have time to think about that and they've got so much on their plate? What kinds of things do you say to them? Ah, that's, that is such a common challenge. I want to work, you're talking about working on your business rather than working in your business. Right. And when you want to work on your business, that requires time. And that's something that a lot of lawyers don't have. And so I start by, all right, let's create some space so that you can have time to do this work. So we look at what are they prioritizing? What are they spending their time on? Where are, how are they delegating? So that we, because when we do that, we can always find a way because lawyers are not a fan of change. A great example is, well, I spend hours doing my books. Okay. Why do you do that? Well, because I have control. Okay. I get that. So what you want is control. 
what would what would it feel like if we had set up standards and then had a professional do that work for you and you would have control not by doing it oh that would be great cuz a lot of my work in the legit in the in the corporate world was outsourcing so right. this was my world and so we look at we look at that and everything from that to what's your nightly wind down routine what's your startup routine in the morning what kind of structure have you put into your life well my structure is i get up and i shove food in my face i grab a coffee i go to work until i can't think anymore then i go home and i pat, have a glass of wine and pass out right okay there's a better approach to that because one of the things i see i learned myself and i see a lot of my female clients have the same issue is they're so busy providing for other people and taking care of everybody else's stuff that they're not taking care of themselves because they look at it like well that's being selfish and absolutely and the, prob- and the problem with that is and and what i say to that because i learned it the hard way is okay i get that what would it be like if taking care of yourself in a structured way actually improved your capacity to get more done and be more present and have higher quality interactions would that be worth investing in and then the answer is well yeah because when you take care of yourself it's not selfish if you're a person who's serving and you have some good strategies to take care of yourself it increases your capacity to serve you're a better lawyer you're a better mother you're a better wife or spouse you're because you're not burnt out right and so right. We, we start with that's the foundation I, I i put this together with marketing because when people hire a lawyer they are in a very difficult stressed out point in their lives whether it's a corporate client or whether it's an individual client they're feeling out of control the very last thing they want to do is hire a lawyer and they need somebody who's calm cool collected who has it together who's confident who's giving off the nonverbals of I got this. And if you're if, if if you're if you don't, it will come through without anything you say. Absolutely. So if you're not getting if you're so who's going to hire a lawyer if they feel like the lawyer's not in control of their own world? Right. Right. And so, and and yeah. and often often with high achieving people, high achieving women in particular, the the, the thought of I have to do this often comes down to I have to do it. I have to be the one doing it. And nobody mm-hmm. can do it as well as I can. And I can do it I can do it more quickly than I can teach you how to do it or show you how to do it or delegate it mm-hmm. to you or you know. And so because as women, you know, we we are we are taking care of them. and this is a generalization obviously. Uh, yeah. But this is in our society and culturally, women are kind of known for nurturing and taking care of everyone. And so then we take that to our business and we still think that we have to be the one taking care of everyone in the business, as opposed to saying, I'm going to set a vision for what this team is going to do and I'm going to assemble the team. And then the team is going to take care of our clients. And yes. having an approach that is, you know, not not me, not me, the this person having to do everything, right? And I loved how you use the bookkeeping example because that's 
usually one of the first places that I recommend people, uh, you know, just offload that because I know for me, being an attorney, uh, you know, I, I have no interest in being a bookkeeper. That's just not even, and I really love and respect my bookkeeper and my CPA because without them, oh my God, <laughs> what a nightmare. So, but there's a control aspect and people kind of have a fear sometimes. I know I talked with one client once who had a fear of hiring a bookkeeper because she once made a bad hire. And I, I said to her, you know, how long do you plan on being in practice? How long do you plan on having your business? You know, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, you know, and she told me some number. And I said, do you really expect that you're not going to have people come and go, that you're not going to have attrition, that do you expect you're going to hire people and they're going to stay with you for 30 years and everybody's going to be a dream hire? No, I mean, that's unrealistic, right? So when yeah. you let you know, when somebody goes because they're not a good fit, that doesn't mean, I mean, do you really think that there's nobody out there who can do this? All you have to do is look at the law firm down the street that's making millions of dollars and know that they managed to hire a bookkeeper that they could trust, you know? Yeah. And do you, you know, what you're talking about is, is fundamental management skills that can be learned. Mm -hmm. I, I've made great hires. I've made terrible hires. I've right. made great hires that became terrible hires. When that happens, hey, when somebody leaves of their own, you take it personally. Right. And so there, there are processes to follow that you don't have to make it up as, as you go along, whether you're hiring a bookkeeper or you're um, hiring somebody to help with your IT systems. You know, there are processes you can use. and and we have this belief, and I see it in, in men, and I see it especially in women, that, that, that they, they, everybody feels like they need to prove themselves. Like, I have to prove that I can do everything. Or that, and, and if we can change the mindset and say, maybe the best way for me to provide and take care of my people is to find and retain a the best person who's really good at that to take care of them, maybe that's what I should do. Mm-hmm. And when I moved from being a lawyer who was an individual contributor, which is what most lawyers are, right? You bill, you're an individual contributor, to right. a leader, that was a really big shift because everything about my life to that point had been based on my own personal production. And right. when you're running a business, it's not. And you said something very powerful about it's a skill that you can learn. And I think mm -hmm. that's something that we often don't think about when we go into practice for ourselves is that, you know, you're a, you're a lawyer. And so you're coming into the practice. And unless you have some business background where you've actually been in business for yourself and hired and fired or worked places where you've done those kinds of things or where you've set up systems or you're or a systematic thinker or whatever it is, there's going to be a lot of skills in your business that you need to learn. So your education doesn't stop when you get that law degree. It doesn't mean you need to go out and get more certifications or more degrees. Mm -hmm. But what it does mean is you have to realize that as you grow, you have to, you'll grow into the person who could run that multi-million dollar practice. That's not going to happen overnight. And it's going to require ongoing 
education, educating yourself on skills that you need and applying them, educating, applying them, and be willing to accept that there are going to be failures along the way. That's part of the journey. Yeah. It's part of the journey. And those, that's how we learn, right? Absolutely. And, you know, our pre- it's interesting, as lawyers, we understand the value of mentorship, apprenticeship, when we're learning how to become a lawyer. We all had somebody um, who mm-hmm. helped us along in our legal skills. And we have to recognize, and when they recognize that you need a business guide, just like you needed a guide about how to become a lawyer, so that they can help you be, just provide perspective, because it's so lonely running a law firm. that having a guide to help you throw out the head trash you might have that maybe I'm not enough or how do I delegate to this person or this person, you know, wasn't a good hire who can ask you the right questions. I I spent 29 years learning how to do this. And my, my mission is so that the people I interact with don't have to spend 29 years. Maybe they can learn it faster. Well, we all have, we all have our head trash, even now, even after 29 years, you're still, and me, you know, same thing after, after being in business for, you know, almost 30 years, I, I, it is, we still have head trash because that's the human condition and human nature. But I'm sure you, like me, you have those advisors and people that you rely on and those mentors that you, that help you, you know, um, it, in, (laughs) What area yeah. you want to grow, right? I, you know what I used to think, and I learned this from Michael Port when we were talking, learning about speaking. This idea of taking out the head trash, and I just love that visual. And I used to think that okay, I've got the head trash out; it doesn't come back. But no, it does for everyone all the time. So yeah. taking but- it out isn't something that you're done with. You have to be forever. Um, working on it because everybody's got this scared person inside that worries that I'm going to be find, found out. I'm, I'm not worthy. And what if they judge me in some way? And right. having a thought partner who can help you even just to say, that's head trash. Is that right. really true? Is right. tremendously valuable, especially Davina, when you're selling and Hey, marketing and selling is about rejection. It's about right. rejection more than success. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> so you you need someone to to guide you through that. Otherwise, you'll start doing and you'll stop because I had three calls. They were not successful. Um, therefore, nobody wants to hire me. Maybe I should go be a bartender somewhere. Right, right, right. And and And, you know, it is that. And it's in every aspect of your firm. It can be from high, it can be hiring the same kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like you're you mm-hmm. hire somebody and then you have an employee that turned out to be just a jerk and you have to let them go, or you had an employee you loved, but then there were issues and you have to let them go and and you just feel like, God, I'm so bad at this. <laughs> and and you have to have that person who says, You're not, no, you're not bad at it. You're just, you know, you just hired somebody and it didn't turn, you know, it was a good fit maybe at the time and it's not now. Right. Because as we grow and elevate, you know, and raise our vibration, some people are going to fall away from that. And on the topic of employees, when I have people come to me on this and I said, okay, they didn't do it. How did you explain to them what your expectations were and what success looked like in that task or in that role? 
Right. And then there's, si- there's silence. Well, they should just know. How should they know? <laughs> and then it's like, wait, if an employee's failing, the brutal truth is if an employee is failing, the first place you need to look is in the mirror to make sure right. that you are being clear and giving that person a chance to succeed. Yeah, and I think That's as, as, as lawyers, <laughs> yeah, as yeah. lawyers, we often take for granted the depth of our knowledge on subjects and also that we've been trained to think in a certain way and it's taken a long time to develop that skill set. You know, you've gone through law school, you've gone through the bar and you've gone through being an attorney for a, a while, you know, and it, and we, all those, t- all that time, we're developing a way of thinking. And then we kind of, we hire employees and we sort of expect that through osmosis or something, they're going to think the way that we think. And we don't realize that that's a skill we've developed over time because it becomes such an integral part of who we are. And, yeah, you know, yeah. you, you have to have a way to, you know, communicate your expectations and set up a systematic way of communicating expectations and a routine reporting back to you. So is there a system? I always tell my clients, you have to have set clear expectations and you have to set up a mechanism for the way that you want clients to report back to you to give you progress updates. So yeah. how are they communicating back with you? Or you got one who's emailing you and the other one who's putting stuff in your case management and the other one who's texting you or telling you when you pass in the hall, I mean, that's not going to be very effective in the long term. It's not going to be a good foundation for growth. Yeah. And it's even more difficult when you are really busy and you are really stressed out and all of the things you don't like about yourself are the things that bubble to the surface. Right. in, In that moment, we do the one thing that will keep us from being successful is we, we, we create an environment of fear and we, or we don't make it safe because if people don't feel safe, they will not communicate. They will not try new things. They will, they will circle the wagons. Right. So at a moment when we're the most stressed, we have to somehow create for the people around us and ourselves a little bit of safety so we can actually communicate. And there's this paradox I learned when I was teaching innovation and entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. And it's this paradox of you have to sl- sometimes, often, you need to slow down to speed up. Mm-hmm. You need to take a pause to think and plan and then act. And right. when you do that, you're, you can act much more efficiently to a specific goal instead of just driving really fast. I don't know where I'm going, but I'm making good time. And when you begin to pull yourself out of the day-to-day more and more, you're allowing more space for that thinking, that creative thinking, and that innovation, and the strategic planning. And you can create a team that can help you with the implementation of these plans. You can dream bigger and better plans and have a bigger team to help you implement it. And you maintain all the control that you feel like you need you're providing more productively for your people through another person right? rather than through yourself. And you're focusing on the thing that you must do either as the lead lawyer in your firm that only you can do 
or as the owner of the firm mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. only you can do. Right. And, right. Um, you know, it's, there's all kinds of, this is, this is why I love talking. Everybody wants to talk about marketing and marketing always leads to time management because those are the things that we lawyers think if I just had those two things solved, everything. Right. I just need more time. If I just had more time, I could do it my damn self. Those are the favorite phrases right there. (laughs) Right. And And we say this not from a place of judgment. We say this, you, you and I are saying this from a place of, you know, I'm sure you've probably been there. I know I've been there where at one point it was like, if I just had more time, you know, I could just do it myself. And then you, you grow and you learn and you start shifting your mindset and you and, realize, and, you learn, and then after a while yeah. you realize you don't really want all that control either. You know what I mean? You're like, <laughs> <laughs> and, and you learn that you can't manage time. Mm-hmm. You can't manage other people and you can't manage all the uncontrollable crap in the world around us. All you can manage about time is your choices. Right. All you can manage about the environment is how you respond to it. And once you realize that I have to just make better choices about my time, so maybe I do need to focus on less clients, so I'm not trying to to be everything to everybody. Or maybe Mm -hmm. I do need to hire someone. Or maybe the stuff that I keep rewriting on my to-do list over and over again doesn't have to happen. Wow. I love, they have (laughs) so much fun creating a stop doing list. Yeah. Put it on a list of stuff you, because there's so much things, especially my, my female clients, I should do this. I should do that. Somebody's expecting me to do this. Well, does that fit with what you want and what serves your business and your clients? No, but they're expecting it. Okay. How's that working out? That's okay. Right. So right. having the courage to make that choice. I have a little equation that I've invented in my speaking, discovered really in my speaking about how to unlock your courage. And it's about the purpose, focus, energy, and trust. Mm-hmm. If you have a clear purpose, you have um, clear focus, you have positive energy, and you have trust in yourself and others, that will give you what you need to overcome the fear is what right. really holds a lot of us back. Right. And, and if you focus on the right thing, you make the time and you focus on the people you were meant to serve, solving the problems that they have and giving them a transformation, mm-hmm. then your practice gets easier. You make more money and you get more clients and you can take that vacation. Oh, it's yes. A very, the vacation. It's a very straight line. Very straight line. We're hoping we can take more of those in the coming months. We, you know, right now, right now, all of us are doing a lot of dreaming about our vacations and planning. This is a great time to really plan out your fantasy vacation because you've got the time to do it. And once we're all able to travel again, I imagine it's going to be crazy out there with all the people booking those vacations they've had to put off. Yeah. And Maybe the vacation is simply allowing yourself an actual day off on Saturday or Sunday, or God forbid, both. Yeah, without checking your email? Oh my gosh, what are you proposing? (laughs) Where where you are fully present with the people you love in your life, or the Mm -hmm. things that you love doing, knowing that it will be there on Monday, and you at least give yourself that mental break. Right. That's That's achievable without a lot of work. Well, and what's amazing about that, it's achievable 
with making the amount of money you want to make too. Like you don't have to sacrifice the amount of money you want to make to have time to yourself as well. When you, when you, you focus on the thing you're on, on your, on your perfect client and you fill your mm-hmm. practice with them and you mm-hmm. surround yourself, as you've said, with the right support systems and the right people, mm-hmm. you can work less and make more. Yeah. How's that for a crazy idea for lawyers escaping the time for money trap? I know. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we have, uh, we've covered a lot and I know you and I could probably cover a lot more if we kept talking, but we probably need to wrap up. So tell us how we can find out more about Summit Success and how we can connect with you if we want to connect with you. That's great. I'd love to do that. Uh, Our website is Summit Success with a dash in between. That's summit-success.com. Um, my uh, email address is Doug at summit-success.com. Um, I'm on LinkedIn um, as Douglas Brown, linkedin.com forward slash in Douglas Brown. I publish there. And I have a Facebook page called Coach Doug Brown where I put videos up every day and mostly oh, days. And, wonderful. Um, and I've also have a, a page for your listeners if they'd like my five keys to finding perfect clients fast. If they go to summit-success.com forward slash WW for wealthy woman lawyers, um, they'll be able to download um, the guide which tells you exactly how to get started on uh, focusing on the people who are the people you are meant to serve and the problems you solve. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thanks so much. We really appreciate that. And thanks so much for being here. I really enjoyed our conversation. This hour has just flown by. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity, and I hope we can do it again. At Wealthy Woman Lawyer, we help women law firm owners build profitable, sustainable, wealth-generating law firms without overwork or overwhelm, so you can live your best life. If you are ready to create more of what you desire most in your business and your life, then you'll want to sign up now for our free training, Seven Shifts to Create a Wealth-Generating Law Firm Without Killing Yourself in the Process. Register now at WealthyWomanLawyer.com training to receive this free training immediately. And thank you for listening to the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast.